0: This morning we'll be considering Matthew chapter 4 verses 1 through 11. Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Already in our study of this gospel, we have been given a a fairly complete explanation as to who Jesus Christ is. The first verse of this gospel, if you recall, presents Jesus as the son of David and the son of Abraham. That is, Jesus is said to be the one who was promised to God, promised by God to come, who would rule on David's throne forever and who would bring blessing to all the nations. The account of Jesus' birth, continuing in chapter 1, reveals Jesus is the one who will save his people from their sins. Matthew one twenty one, And as Emmanuel, which means God with us. In chapter 2, wise men from the east seek Jesus as the king of the Jews and then worship him as God. Later on in chapter 2, Jesus is presented as the ultimate embodiment of Israel. That is, the one in whom is wrapped up the true identity of the people of God. Because just as Old Testament Israel was called out of Egypt by God, so Jesus, God's true son, was called out of Egypt by God And then in chapter 3, John the Baptist identifies Jesus as the Messianic King. And then what's most impressive of all is that at Jesus' baptism, as we saw last week, the voice of God declared from heaven, This is my beloved Son, in whom and with whom I am well pleased. And so, Son of David, Son of Abraham, Savior of God's people, Emmanuel, God with us, King of the Jews, ultimate embodiment, Of Israel, Messiah, and Son of God. That's a pretty extraordinary list of titles given to Jesus. Now the question is, however, is Jesus really the Son of God? Is He really the Messiah? That's an important question because not too long after this, even John the Baptist will begin to have doubts, won't he? Matthew chapter 11, we will see that John sends his disciples to Jesus in order to ask him. You recall, John the Baptist was in prison and he couldn't figure out if Jesus was the Messiah, why would he be in prison? And so he sends his disciples to Jesus to say, are you really the one or should we look for someone else? And so the question, is Jesus really the Son of God, is an important question. The answer to that question, however, is answered for us loud and clear in this section of the gospel where Jesus is tempted by Satan and achieves an incredible victory over him. And so let's read about that victory now from Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus Before we look at this extraordinary portion of Scripture, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come this morning anxious to learn from you. We desire, Father, as your blood-bought children, people, men and women and boys and girls who have had their eyes open to the truth. We long to learn more about our glorious Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you reveal him to us now? Teach us more about your son, that we might praise him more and love him more. We ask it for his sake and for our good. Amen. Most Christians, I would say, when they come to this passage of Scripture, which deals with the temptation of the Lord Jesus, most Christians have a couple of questions at the very top of their list. First, they want to know how their temptations are like Jesus' temptations. And then second, they want to know what they can learn from Jesus that will help them deal with their temptation. Now certainly there are ways in which our temptations are like Jesus' temptations and certainly there are things we can learn from Jesus that will help us deal with temptation. But if those questions are at the very top of our list, then we will miss the main point of the passage The main point of this passage is not to teach us how to deal with temptation. The main point of this passage is to teach us about the glorious victory that Jesus achieved. Because, you see, there's a major difference between the temptation that we experience and the temptation that Jesus experienced here. When we are tempted, temptation comes to us. Uh, Temptation attacks us. But you see, when Jesus was tempted here, Jesus attacked temptation. You see the difference? Verse 1. Then, Matthew says, that is, after Jesus was baptized, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So the temptation that Jesus experienced was not a matter in the first place of Satan coming to Jesus. We are talking about Jesus going to Satan. This is an instance of our Lord Jesus entering into enemy occupied territory, so to speak, as the son of God, as the ultimate embodiment of Israel, so as to wage war against Satan and defeat him. Deal him a mighty blow. Now, this morning, we're going to look at each of these temptations one by one. Before we do, however, I want to point out to you something very significant here concerning Jesus as the ultimate embodiment of Israel. And that is, when we come to Matthew chapter 4, and really when we come to the end of Matthew chapter 3 and get into Matthew chapter 4, the end of chapter 3, of course, is where Jesus Is baptized. When we go from chapter 3 to chapter 4, the parallels between Jesus and God's Old Testament people, Israel, become absolutely striking. And I don't know if you've ever considered this before. It's not only the case, you see, that just as Jesus was called out of Egypt, so of course Israel was called out of Egypt. That's not where the parallels stop. They continue here in mighty fashion in this way, just as Israel. Now get this, just as Israel was baptized after they were called out of Egypt. You say, Israel was baptized? Yes, Israel was baptized. How do we know that? First Corinthians 10, Paul tells us that Israel was baptized into Moses when God brought them through the Red Sea. In the very same way way after Jesus was called out of Egypt by God, so he was baptized. Furthermore, just as Israel was led by God into the wilderness right after they were baptized, where they experienced temptation, so Jesus was led into the wilderness right after he was baptized where he experienced temptation. What's so significant about this? What's significant is, Today we are going to see that as the ultimate embodiment of Israel, Jesus is going to succeed where Israel miserably failed. That's highly significant. How do we see that Jesus was successful in these three temptations? Well, let's begin by looking at the first temptation where Jesus refused to turn stones into bread. Jesus refused to to turn stones into bread. We are told in verses 2 and 3 that after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. In other words, Jesus, I know you're hungry. Jesus, I know you are very hungry. Jesus, you are 40 days hungry. You are experiencing the very frailty of human existence. And so what you need right now more than anything else is food for your stomach. And so Jesus, since you are the Son of God, why don't you take these stones and turn them into bread? Well, why not? Give me one good reason why Jesus shouldn't. Turn these stones into bread. After all, later on in Matthew's gospel, Jesus will turn a few loaves of bread and some fish into enough food to feed 5,000 people. People who apparently when they went out to hear Jesus didn't think that he would be interesting enough for them to miss their lunches. That was a pretty foolish thing for them to do. What they should have done was brought their sandwiches, There are drinks with them. But apparently they didn't do that. And so Jesus fed these 5,000 apparently foolish, sinful men and women by performing the most amazing miracle. And so if Jesus could do that for foolish sinners, how could it possibly be wrong for him to feed himself, the Holy Son of God, by turning a few stones into bread? For this reason. Because the hunger and weakness that Jesus was experiencing was not a hunger and weakness brought on by foolishness. It was a hunger and weakness brought on by faithfulness. You see, Jesus was being faithful here by fasting as long as he did because he knew that it was his responsibility to succeed where Israel failed. What did Israel do in the wilderness the moment they became hungry? They grumbled. They did not trust God to provide. In fact, what they said to Moses was, it would have been better for us to die by the hand of God in Egypt because at least then we would have died with full stomachs. That's essentially what they said. And so you see what Jesus does here is quite intentionally empty his stomach to the fullest degree and make himself the hungriest and weakest and frailest he could be, so that unlike Israel, he could say, I will be obedient to my heavenly Father even to death. Israel believed that having a full stomach was more important than obeying the word of God. Jesus believed that obeying the word of God was more important than having a full stomach. I think of Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8. It says this. Although Jesus was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. He learned obedience through what he suffered. This temptation here and really all of the temptations that Jesus experienced throughout his life were ways in which he suffered, suffered in accordance with the will of his father in order to learn obedience. And so what does Jesus do? He quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 3, which actually happens to be the very word that Moses spoke to the Israelites at the end of their 40 years in the wilderness. And he says to Satan, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, my friends... There's not a person among us today who has lived every moment of his or her life according to that truth. All of us, like the Israelites, have failed, in other words. All of us have disobeyed God. We have not obeyed the Lord. We have failed to obey God because either it's been too hard for us or because we've wanted something other than obedience to God. But Jesus, you see, For his glory and for our sakes, he strode into the wilderness and denied himself food for 40 days and 40 nights so that he could say to the tempter, I will be obedient to my father, even to death. And so Jesus was victorious over Satan here by refusing to turn stones into bread. Secondly. Jesus was victorious over Satan because he refused to jump from the temple. He refused to jump from the temple. We are told in verse 5 that Satan took Jesus to the holy city, that is Jerusalem, and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. Now, we do not know if this was something uh, where Satan literally took Jesus to Jerusalem and sat him on the pinnacle of the temple, Or if this was something where Jesus was given a vision of this. I tend to think that it was a vision. Whatever the case, we do know that the distance from the pinnacle of the temple to the very bottom, and the bottom here is the Kidron Valley. The pinnacle of the temple to the bottom of the Kidron Valley, which is what part of the temple wall stood on the edge of, was 400 feet. Now to put that in perspective... A football field with its end zones is 360 feet. So we are talking about an enormous fall here. And what does Satan say? Verse 6, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will. Command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. In other words, Jesus, you're not the only one who's memorized scripture here. I've memorized it too. And since you say that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, well then listen to what God says in Psalm 91 verses 11 and 12. He says, he will Command his angels concerning you and they will bear you up on their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And so Jesus, with these promises, jump. And angels will come. And they will bear you up. And you will find, Jesus, that the people of Jerusalem and all Israel will come to you and immediately put their trust in you because you will be the only one who leapt 400 feet. Whom angels came to save and they will crown you son of God. What's the temptation? The temptation is for Jesus to win his people. By one spectacular act of faith that tests God. Rather than a life of obedience in which God tests and proves him. Do you remember how Israel tested God in the wilderness? There came a point when they had no water to drink. We read about it earlier in Exodus 17. And when they reached that point, they said to Moses, is God among us or not? In other words, where is God now? Yes, he brought us out of Egypt. Yes, he parted the Red Sea for us. Yes, he's giving us bread from heaven. But if he was really among us, and if he's really caring about us, we would not be without water. And so... They challenged God. Instead of praying to God and asking God to provide for them, they challenged him. They tested God instead of trusting in the Lord. And make no mistake about it, we do the very same thing. We may not be as brazen about it as Israel was, but we do test God. For instance, how often have we asked God to bless us with physical health and yet neglected to follow the rules of health. Do you see how this works? How often have we asked God to sanctify us, to make us more and more like his son, and yet neglected to use the very means by which he does conform us to the image of his son? For instance, the means of prayer. And how often have we asked God to save our children? And above everything else, Make them men and women who love the Lord Jesus Christ and obey the Lord Jesus Christ and yet neglected to bring them up in the way of the Lord. You see, that's testing God. That's presuming upon God. That's challenging God. And that's why not just Israel, but we, the new Israel, need a representative like the Lord Jesus Christ because when he was tempted to test God, when he was tempted to challenge God, he did not hesitate for a moment, but responded from his heart and said, "You shall not put the Lord your God to the test." Deuteronomy 6:16. 6, In other words, Satan, I will not win my people by jumping from the temple. That would be to test God, and my Father says, "You shall not put the Lord your God to the test." And so Jesus was victorious over Satan. Not only because he refused to turn stones into bread, he was victorious over Satan because he refused to jump from the temple. Then third, Jesus was victorious over Satan because he refused to worship Satan. He refused to worship Satan. Verses 8 and 9. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Now, this is where Satan, as it were, takes the mask off. No more subtlety here. No more scripture twisting here. He just says, Jesus, worship me and I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. Now, what's the temptation here? The temptation here, certainly is not merely to receive all the kingdoms of the world, because Jesus had already been promised all the kingdoms of the world by his heavenly Father, hadn't he? Psalm chapter 2, verses 7 and 8 say this, You are my son, the Father declared, ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. And so clearly the temptation here wasn't merely to receive all the kingdoms of the world, the temptation was this, it, it... it was to receive all the kingdoms of the world at a far, far, far lower price. That's the temptation. You see, the Father had promised Jesus all the kingdoms of the world at the price of the cross. Satan was promising Jesus all the kingdoms of the world at the price of a bow. Just worship me. Just fall down and worship me. If you do it your father's way, you will have to go through the most appalling rejection, humiliation, suffering, and death. You will have to be imputed with the sins of your people. Your very own father will have to turn his back against you. You will have to be punished in the place of your people. But if you do it my way, all you've got to do is bow. Now, that's a temptation, isn't it? It's not a temptation when somebody offers you something that you've already been promised. It is a temptation when somebody offers you that very same thing and just says, just take the easier way to get it. Now, that's the temptation. How many of us have fallen to that temptation? Just take the easier way to get it. How many men, how many women have gone to their pastor literally with their their head in their hands and said, I have no idea what came over me. If I had only seen where this would lead to, but I wanted it quickly. I wanted it easily. But then there's the Lord Jesus Christ who, though he was offered all the kingdoms of the world at the price of a bow, he says to the evil one, I will not do it your way. I will do it the way designed for me by my father. Yes, yes, I will be humiliated. Yes, I will be rejected. Yes, I will suffer. Yes, I will die. But as it is written. I am to worship only the Lord, my God. I am to serve only the Lord, my God. And so Satan, be gone. Be gone. Verse 11 tells us that Satan left him. Now, we know Satan did not leave him for good. Do you know when the next time we find Satan tempting the Lord Jesus is? The passage we read earlier in Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus is telling his disciples that the only hope of your salvation is if I go to the cross and die for your sins. And and Peter says, not the cross, Lord. Not the cross. And what does Jesus say to Peter? He says, get behind me. Satan. You see, that's that's Satan's ultimate goal here. That was not only Satan's ultimate goal in Matthew chapter 16, that was Satan's ultimate goal in Matthew chapter 4. It was to get Jesus to stop from going to the cross. If he could only get Jesus to stop from going to the cross then... The people of God could not be saved. And then the kingdoms of this world could not be restored. But Jesus, like a warrior, like the captain of the Lord's army, he is. He was absolutely committed to the word of God. He was absolutely committed to trusting in God. He was absolutely committed to worshiping God. And so he refused to turn stones into bread. He refused to jump from the temple. And he refused to worship Satan. You ask yourself, well, how can I? How can I grow in my ability to resist temptation? Do what Jesus does here. Be absolutely committed to the word of God. Absolutely committed to trusting in God. Absolutely committed to worshipping God. The man or woman of God, the young person of God, who rises in the morning and says, By your grace, Lord, I will live this day according to every word that comes from your mouth. By your grace, Lord, I will live this day wholeheartedly trusting in you. By your grace, Lord, I will live this day so as to honor and glorify you. That's a Christian whom Satan will find it exceedingly difficult to dislodge as that Christian person takes his stand and stands in the Lord Jesus Christ. You might be thinking, as I am, what if I fail? What if I fail? That's not the question to ask. The question to ask isn't, what if I fail? The question to ask is, what if I've already failed? I know that I have already failed. In fact, if you knew how much I've already failed, you would probably want to belong to a different congregation. Now, I can say the very same thing. That if I knew how much you had failed, I would probably want to be the pastor of a different congregation. See how that works? We're failures here. Every last one of us. We have failed in our private lives. We have failed in our public lives. We have failed in our family lives because each of us has fallen to temptation. But you see, that's what makes the message of this passage so glorious. is, is because it tells us about a, about a man who didn't fail, who didn't fall. That the Lord Jesus Christ didn't fall to temptation. And you see, that's why you and I need him so desperately. We need him so desperately. You might be thinking, no, no, no. What I really need is someone who has fallen like me to help me. It's true that people who have fallen in temptation like you can help you when you are being tempted and when you have fallen, but that's not what you need most. What you need most is someone who has never fallen to temptation. The Lord Jesus Christ. You see, that's what this passage is primarily about. It shows us one, it teaches us about one, who though he was attacked, and let's just say it, He was attacked in ways and to degrees that we have never been attacked in. He never fell. He never fell. That's why we need him. In just a few moments, we're going to be singing the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And the second stanza of that hymn reads this way. Just the first couple of sentences. Did we in our own strength confide? our striving would be losing we're not the right man on our side the man of god's own choosing brothers and sisters the lord jesus christ is that man he's the right man he's the only man he's the man whom god chose Chose before the creation of the world. Chose an eternity past. When it was just father, son, and holy spirit. Chose him then. To be the one. Who would stride into the wilderness. And begin. To step on the throat of Satan. What a glorious savior. We have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Gracious Father. We praise you. We praise you so much for this passage. Which tells us about the one. Who unlike Israel. Unlike us. Succeeded against. Succeeded against the tempter. When he was attacked. With three vicious temptations. The Lord Jesus Christ. Stood strong and firm. For his glory. And for our sakes and salvation. Father I pray that we would. Yes, become more like Jesus Christ. But most importantly, trust in Christ. Look to Christ. Grow in our love and fondness and admiration of Christ. That he would be more glorified in our lives. Father, we ask these things for his sake. Amen.